Welcome back to The Marketing Podcast, where we discuss marketing science, case studies that reveal successful marketing techniques, and strategic marketing analysis, where we model the data and turn it into financial forecasts so you have predictable revenue. I'm your host, Brandon White, and this is Marketing. Chris and Dan, what's happening, man? How are you, Brandon? Hey, Brandon. Never better. How are you guys? Great. Nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you. Welcome to the show. I was excited to talk to you guys. You guys are like legends in the video marketing space. And when I saw that there were two guys who did Purple, and I see you've done, uh, for listeners, Purple was a mattress company. I don't think Purple's around anymore, is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, they are still? Yeah. It's a publicly traded company. It's um, it's uh, suffering in the economy, like most company, like most companies in the betting space, but uh, they're, they're certainly around, yeah. Oh, well, that goes to show how much I know. That's terrible. <laughs> um, but you guys sort of took that brand from the beginning stages and built it up through, I don't know that it was short videos back then. It was more long-form videos and online advertising. And then when I went to your website to do some research, I saw that there was a testimonial by John Rampton and I was like, mm-hmm. I know John. So I sent him an email instantly. I was like, hey, are these guys real? And for listeners out there, there's so many, as I'm sure most people know, there's just so many digital marketers, right, Chris and Dan, that it's sometimes hard to cut through the noise of, you know, like who's real and who's not. And John wrote back in like 30 seconds. He he gets always gets back to me quickly. He's like, yeah, I've spent millions of dollars with these guys. They deliver. And I was like, all right, then I'm going to email these guys back and tell them we want to talk to them because John spent millions of bucks and then it's cool. John's great. He's a good friend of ours and a big investor in in Gab Wireless, which is one of our larger customers and just a great guy all the way around. I hope he listens to this podcast and hears us say that, right? Yeah, right. Well, I don't know. Sometimes He's so good for listeners out there. John is, I don't know, it's hard to describe. I started on the internet in 1996 and... There was just a lot of people who did affiliate marketing and building websites and community sites and software and domain names, quite candidly. And John was one of those guys. And that's how I sort of know him through that network of, of, I don't, we're not underground, but maybe we're just older and have a few gray hairs, but sort of remember the early days of the internet when, you know, and made money in all different ways. Yeah, for sure. It's the thing that's funny about John is for your listeners, if you're interested in SEO, Dan and I came, like we met at SEO.com. We worked at SEO.com. We were the marketing department there. And when I first met John, he's like, I know SEO really well. And I'm like, everybody says that. I mean, kind of to your point, Brandon, there's a lot of guys out there that hang a shingle and then they're a marketing guy, right? Like they're an agency, right? And John was like, I was like, prove it. And he pulled up the search result for just the search term SEO. And it was an article that he wrote. It was the number one search result for SEO. And I'm like, okay, you know what you're doing. Yeah, he's a, like, I, clearly. I, you know I, and doing. I, I think, I think it's tough that most of the real SEO and I consider myself a real SEO. I built my first company, which I sold to a major media company on completely organic traffic. And I will readily admit to both of you and all listeners that I had a competitive advantage because I started in 1996. Like there wasn't, it wasn't a database. It was flat file HTML and the algorithms, quote unquote, which were humans in the beginning, by the way, for listeners out there was relatively, it wasn't easy, but you could back into how you could rank. And we had $550,000 of organic search 
traffic every single month. I mean, measured by from the time I sold it, all of these people. And that's pretty respectable. And yeah. it's hard to get these days, although I've been trying with this whole 12 websites that I stood up to see if I could back into it again for fun. But that's, re- yeah, John is a uh, really good at SEO and he's got some, still has some sites out there. And I think he knows marketing and Gab Wireless for listeners, not that it's important, but it's actually, I spent like 30 minutes because that's, I was like, Gab Wireless, I didn't even know he was doing that. But it's this phone for kids that sort of totally takes off all the social media and gives them the essentials of texting and phone calls, right? Yeah, it's a safe phone for kids. That's that's exactly what it is. It's really like kind of a eight, well, I'd say eight to like probably 12 years old. Um, they've got a number of products, including watches now as well. And they're just give parents peace of mind, really. Communication with your kid and peace of mind and they're actually kind of a great case study. We can talk about it at some point in the show as well. They're kind of a great case study in long form versus short form video as well. And that's something you mentioned at the beginning of the show, Brandon. Yeah, well, let's talk about that. I'm super excited now. I, I totally forgot that you guys worked at SEO. We can talk about SEO. There's sort of, I tell people, I don't know if you guys agree, but it's as much of an art as it is a science. Would you agree? We can talk about why we don't do SEO too. Oh, what's that? <laughs> We can talk about why we don't do SEO right now, too. Oh, well, let's talk about that, Dan, since you bring that up. Why don't you do SEO? Hmm. So after SEO, I started a content marketing agency for a while. And that's a long game. You know, you got to create content, do a lot of blog posts, do a lot of articles for SEO. And that's like, you know, you're telling clients you got six months or so to see results. And pretty soon after two months, they're like, where's the return? And this is this is before Purple started. And then so I started figuring out, okay, how do we make money right now? Let's make an ad. Let's use this content, like a good content for an ad and make money and show return right now. That's that's one reason why I quit doing SEO. I just was too ADD for it. You know, I didn't have the patience. Well, and the other thing too is the algorithm is super smart now, right? Like back in, I mean, it was like 2009, 2010 when Dan and I were at SEO.com. And what we did was, there was no formal marketing at SEO.com at the time, right? Mm-hmm. And like, and the sales organization was super loose. And we came in and created like the integrated sales and marketing program to like really like bring up the marketing, the internal marketing SEO.com to like, uh, I'm going to call it a professional level with a real lead generation system and real sales guys actually selling deals, right? And what we did was we just hired, we took our budget and we hired our own internal one of the internal client services teams. And we said, SEO.com is going to now be one of your clients and we're going to take budget and move it to you guys. And we just started applying like all the, the, at the time, which was like a ton of backlinking work, right? We just started applying all the, the, at the time, what I'm going to say were like really correct principles of, of search engine optimization to that business. And the lead generation completely blew up. I mean, we were writing off of a really good domain, obviously SEO.com, right? And yeah, we were, we ranked number one on SEO for a lot of different things. I mean, we got it to a point where we were driving like, I mean, from a couple hundred leads a month to like 15,000 leads a month and just formalizing the marketing program there. Right. And the thing that was amazing about it, and you probably remember this, Brandon, but Panda and Penguin, that update came along 2011, 2012, totally nuked the way all SEO agencies were doing SEO and SEO.com took a major hit in those updates and their clients took a major hit and the agency almost went under because of it because SEO.com was just doing a bunch of lazy, like what I'll call lazy SEO work. Right. 
And so today, if you're like SEO is a lot about architecture, it's a lot about like, and this is where guys like John Rampton come in and relevance and some of those organizations, like they're really good at getting you links from relevant companies, like real news organizations and places like that that Google highly values. And that's where we see a lot of work on the SEO front being super effective, right? But that's just, that's not even the world that we play in. We're like, if we need that type of stuff, a, a guy like John Rampton is a guy that we go to. So we're like, Hey, we need the SEO work on this. Then we just hand it off to that team. But yeah, it's a totally different world than it was 12 years ago, right? Completely different. Yeah, it was. I, I remember we could rank in the top. I could get something in the top. At the time I was in sport fishing, but I could pretty much rank in the top three within days. Back, this is pre-2012. I'm talking 96 to oh, yeah. 2005. Like, if you had the right, if you understood it, you could get there really fast. But that was the Wild West back then, right? The thing that's funny is Google, like, all the SEO guys were like, they're all, frankly, kind of not very smart about it. Because it's like, if you know, Google knows, right? And so all these tricks that you have that you think are cool tricks... They know, they know the tricks and they came along and used Panda and Penguin to totally destroy the agency model on the SEO front. That's exactly what happened. Well, I, I think you're right. The And for listeners, we're going to move into doing videos and paid ads and sort of what Chris and Dan do. But I think the important part for people to listen, I'm still a believer in SEO. I do it for myself. I've had people sure. pr- approach me and say, Hey, will you do it? And I've said no, mainly because of what Dan said, which is, yes, maybe we could get you results in a month, maybe two months, but this is an eight to 12 to 24 month game that will pay dividends, I believe, but you're just not going to see it. And I guess everybody wants everybody, the customers who hire you in general, unless you're going to a real small SMB, but the, the medium sized companies, they need results because they need to report that to their boss and they need sales. And it's very hard to allocate whatever, 10, 20, 50, $100,000 a month into an organic SEO and show an ROI. But I, would you guys agree though, still, I know you don't do it, but you were in it that for someone who's patient and understands the long game, that it can still pay dividends. Absolutely. I mean, you, you have to have a right strategy in place there, right? You have to realize that it's a long game. You got to have the right strategy in place. You got to realize that investment, you're going to have to, it's going to be an investment to get you, to get you there. A lot of the platforms that people are building sites on today, Shopify, WordPress, they come with really good SEO architecture already built into them. Right. And so the game that we used to play, we we're like, Hey, we have to go in and we have to change the architecture of the site. Are we going to change tags and all that kind of stuff that you did back in the day that most of that's automated now. Right. And so. But architecture and all that and having like, like we would never say that having like a top placement SEO result, especially for keywords that are relevant to you, especially like direct consumer is not valuable. It's absolutely valuable, right? It's just like you just have to realize that it's a major, like, just like you said, Brandon, it's a major investment to get there usually. One thing we look at, Brandon, is on a statistic or a data point is the percentage of your traffic that comes from ad clicks versus organic, whether that's SEO or getting social. And you don't want to be over-indexed too much on, you don't want 100% of your traffic being ad clicks. That's not a healthy business either. We're in the ad side now because we can look at a, you spend a dollar and you make four or whatever it is, we can really build to that number. And then, but for a business, like you can't be 100% ad clicks either. 
So you need, you need, a, you need a holistic strategy. I agree with you. I call it being on the crack because some companies are 100% on the crack. And then when the algorithm changes, like an iOS update, which I want to talk to you guys about where you can still target, but you can't target as close to the location, it can screw up business. I've seen it. I saw that iOS update screw up an enormous amount of business location-based. But yeah, so let's talk about short and long-term video. You guys do... Mainly, you started with Purple. Maybe we could talk about some case studies and how you used video and paid ads. And as importantly, if you guys could keep this in mind as we go along, I think one of the things that a lot of people don't do well is, and I don't even think a lot of marketers do well. John told me you guys understand how to connect all the data sources because Coming from a guy who did the financials and ran actually the churn curves by hand at America Online, which I did back in the day, the if you don't work through the data, you could easily eat 50 grand in ads in a week and be at a place where you don't even understand. You're just throwing money out the door. It's almost, and I've done it. I'm not throwing stones at anyone. I've been to the point where one day for me, in our business, I think we were up to like $7,000 and I literally couldn't rush fast enough to the back end of Facebook to hit stop. Like, because it was just running away from us and that can happen. So I don't know where to start. Maybe because both of you after SEO, I think you went to purple and maybe you could talk about a little bit of the strategy used there and then some other case studies, maybe even Gab Wireless or other ones that would help listeners understand sort of the strategy and what it takes to, to do this. Yeah, and Gab's a really good case study in exactly what you're talking about. And it might actually be a good, like a segue, like talk about per, the purple strategy because it's a, a, most marketers especially find it as a really interesting story, right? Like how we, we did that. I think we, we should talk about that, but we should also use Gab as a conversation to talk about how the market and the world has completely changed. Right. And that's going to be also a conversation around that, that iOS 14.5 update that you're discussing, Brandon, that you're talking about there and how we think about data now. But back in the day, 2015, I was consulting, doing outsourced chief marketing officer type consulting work. Right. And had a lot of venture capital firms that would refer deals over to me. So they're like, Hey, we just funded these guys. They don't know anything about marketing. Can you go help them? Right. So. I got a call like a late Friday night from one of my friends in the VC space. And he's like, Hey, I got this guy that's starting this mattress business. And it's kind of interesting. It's like, it's not a deal for us, but, but we want you to go check it out. So I set up a meeting with these guys and went into their business. They had had developed this gel material that they had licensed out to a lot of companies like Rom Hill and Nike, Dr. Scholl's, right? So they had this licensing business, but they were trying to create this gel layer that they could in, integrate into mattresses and then go into the direct consumer mattress space with a mattress offering. I thought this was totally insane, by the way, when I heard it, right? And they were like, no, here's out, here's out. And they said, hey, you need to go do some research on this company, Casper. They've raised $72 million and they've totally plowed the road here with their VC money, like educating the market that it's okay to buy a mattress online. So I did. I went and did my homework that weekend. I did all this research on Casper and, you know, read up on them and looked at all the guys that were funding them and looked at all that stuff uh, and came back the next week. And I was like, okay, here's what I see. I see a, there's at the time it was probably around 20 companies 
that were trying to make some type of inroad into the bed in the box, directing consumer mattress space, right? Casper being the largest of them, right? And purple had a distinct competitive advantage that I saw right away with that, the, the purple gel layer in the bed. All of these other beds were basically three layer foam mattresses that had really no competitive advantage. I kind of compared it to it's, it's, it's a, like a bunch of taco stands. They all had kind of the same thing in them. And if you pick one, you're probably okay, right? Their competitive the advantage was very, they shipped to your door. That was, that was it. Yeah. And the purple mattress had a very distinct competitive advantage with its gel layer, right? So I said it, the marketing plan was simple. We're going to go to the market with long form video campaigns, which were working really well back in 2015, 2016, that era, right? Even more, more than that. We'll talk about that in a second. And we're going to educate the market on why this purple mattress with this like unique gel layer is a way better sleeping experience than what you're getting out of other bed in the box and even retail brands, right? We positioned completely against retail as well, right? And so that's what we did. I'm, I'm kind of making a long story short here, but. We, we needed to go out and test the concept first. We did that through a Kickstarter campaign. That was actually Dan's idea. Um, go out, test a Kickstarter campaign, see if we, the, the founders were like, Hey, if you can get a hundred people to buy a mattress on the Kickstarter campaign, then we'll fund, like, we wanted a million dollars to launch, right? And they had the money from their licensing business and they were like hesitant to fund that campaign, right? But, we, but they said, if you guys can sell a hundred mattresses, we'll fund the whole thing, right? So that was easy because we went and found an influencer who sold a hundred mattresses for us. No problem on the Kickstarter. Right. So, and like we totally tricked that thing out. Right. So over the, the, the Christmas break of 2015, we filmed what's called the Goldilocks video. It's uh, the Goldilocks campaign, which is a pretty famous case study now in direct consumer marketing video. We filmed that video over again, the, the Christmas break of 2015. And then we launched January 15th. 2016. So cut just a couple of weeks later. And we launched with the long form video. The Goldilocks video is about that. That version was about four and a half minutes. And so, yeah, it was long, right? Especially by today's standards, which we, we can talk about in a minute. But we also did a lot of other things too, like we with, that are important from like a, a, I'm going to call from a marketing plan perspective. We didn't just hang our hat on a video and go, Oh, this thing's really awesome. It's going to make us a billion dollars, right? We went out and we were doing like really early influencer marketing stuff that a lot of people weren't doing in like that 2016 timeframe. We were pretty pioneering on that. We also were doing a lot of work with review companies or review sites. So we would go to the review sites and say in the, in the fall of 2015, which all the review sites set up affiliate deals with them, gave them prototype mattresses and had them make videos, purple versus Casper videos that launched on the day of the launch. Okay. So it was all aligned. We took all the Kickstarter people. We had them go back and write reviews on Amazon. So when you, you show up to the website, or you go look at like the review site at Sleepopolis or someplace like that. And then you drop into Amazon. There's a hundred reviews already. We're sitting there in Amazon, right? And so when you take all of the components and you put them together with the video being really the foundation of the, the marketing strategy, it was a thermonuclear effect. I mean, it, it, it went absolutely bananas right out of the gate, right? And. To the, to, you know, the tune of $90 million in that first 60, 90 days, a $10 million in revenue in the first 60, 90 days and about $60 million in that first year, 2016 in revenue. It just went crazy. Dan, what else would you add to that? I think that that process is even more important today. If you think about launching a product or if you're doing like a big video, because especially today, the first thing people do is start looking at your brand reviews. Right. They see a video and they go to Google and they look at 
XYZ reviews and they read it. And if you're not there, they're going to be skeptical of you. So it doesn't matter how great your video is. You know, we had like a billion video views on that eventually. Like that's not, not an exaggeration. We also had a bunch of like smaller videos that were cheap that, you know, had 40 million views that actually converted better on YouTube than the big viral video. So there's a lot of, it wasn't just one video, but it was like a whole holistic strategy that way. Did you? We had a video, the, the Goldilocks video at the time cost about $300,000. And I bet if we had to replicate that video today, it'd be 750 to a million dollars to do it. Well, what, yeah. why, why? So I want to ask you, I, I got yeah. two questions. One is, did you pay to promote the four minute video back then? And two is, why does it cost $700,000? I was just talking to my w- wife about this the other day. I mean, people are making 4K videos with the iPhone and making TV shows and movies, literally. I don't know. I've taped stuff on 4K off the phone and it's worked well. Why does it cost so much? Why can't you shoot that cheaper? And one other thought, I think during that time, was that when the longer form videos worked? Because uh who's the guy who did the Razor sh- video? Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's huh, who's the razor company you're talking about? I'm trying to remember. I still have this, yeah, Dollar Shave yeah, Club. Dollar I Shave still Club. have that stupid subscription because that video it was so funny and I teach it when I teach marketing. I teach yeah. I show the students that that video, but that was a time when those videos really worked. So going back, one is did you pay? And then two is why does it cost so much to do these videos? Okay, so the cost issue, costs have increased dramatically in the last seven years with inflation, shortage of talent, right? Like getting just film crews that are not tied up on other projects, extremely difficult right now, where you have to pay frequently if you want to go, if you want to take like video production today and you want to take it into television, the deals you put together with actors are totally different deals than if it's just web-based that makes it a lot more expensive. And there's a number of factors that have kind of come into play here. There's just a ton more demand and there's not a lot of really good production houses out there, I would say, in my opinion, at least, that are really good at actually producing these types of videos. So so it's gotten really expensive on that front. And then, you know, the other thing on that point on that, too, that we want to make, and, and what you just said there, Brandon, is probably going to be the key takeaway for your 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 listeners, because we do not advocate going out and spending $750,000 on video. We advocate picking up your iPhone and going making, making ads. And we can talk about that in detail in this podcast, too. But Back in the day, back in 2016, I actually had this idea. I thought, you know, we spent $300,000 on this video. I wonder if we spent like $10,000, what would that look like? What would the result be? And I wanted to just A-B split test the two things, right? So our guy who's still our go-to get video guy, who is one of Purple's big video guys, Scott Dastrup, and we work with him pretty extensively on a lot of stuff right now even. Uh, I went to Scott and I said, hey, what if we built a video for like ten grand?" He says, well, I'll make you five for 2500 each. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's do that. Right. And as Dan can attest, one of those videos that we made, it drove tens of millions of dollars in revenue for purple. And it was a $2,500 video. Okay. So we were like, okay, this is actually kind of interesting, right? This was always something that's kind of became the thing for us. We're like, okay, do you actually really have to go spend the 300, the 700, the million? Can you get the same or a similar type of a result? with a cheaper video. And even today, it's actually more preferred from a viewing standpoint than the produced content. If a brand is telling you their story with produced content, you're less likely to believe it than a customer telling the brand's story for them with a device like an iPhone where it looks you know, a lot more genuine. 
right, in, in the ad. So we're kind of getting a little bit ahead there. But, Dan, you look like you're going to say something else on that. One thing when we launched that Gold Lux video that's still key today, we put money towards different intros. We tested 25 different intro hooks to that video. So that it was, it's really figuring out what's capturing some of the tension. And that's still today. Like those first three seconds of any piece of creative or video is key to hold someone's attention. And we look at it like an, an old school infomercial, having a problem statement, showing some benefits and solutions, making people aware of the problem they have, making them people aware of the solution they have. And then putting that in some humor around it. And the winner of that, of the Goldilox video was, it was the actress. She, she said, what's a super easy way to know if your mattress is awful, right? Which makes your brain think, oh, is my mattress bad? And then it goes right into a demonstration showing their raw eggs breaking on different mattresses, you know, and shows reasons to believe the product and, and all that. So, I mean, that, that's a formula we still use. It's, it's not a new formula. Every infomercial on TV has that. But you got to break it today in like 15 second, 20 second, 30 second increments, right? Even with a user generated, it's like, it's someone talking in front of the camera, you know, UGC content, user generated content, right? With a similar type of formula. And you got to test all those different intros and different pieces of, of those videos to make it work. Can you talk about when you say test them, were you paying for that to place it in ads? I mean, a four minute video and an interrupted ad on YouTube doesn't, although and that's not true. I got hooked by like two of them recently. This whole <laughs> thing about this guy working out. I mean, I've been working out for two and a half decades. You know, there. I'm so excited to talk to you guys because when we're talking about these hooks and things, it's like going back into just basics like Schwartz and I'm using these copywriters and it even goes back further, right, in time. But there's just these basic principles. There's not magic here. It's not that you guys have a magic formula that you, because there's an art to this, it's not just a science. But uh, going back to the question, were you were you advertising the Goldilocks video paying for yeah. that? Yeah, that's a great question because we, we asked ourselves like, okay, <laughs> right, we, good marketers, who are we advertising to? Who sleeps? Everybody sleeps, right? So the, the strategy was, okay, we think we have a winner on this video. We have a lot of the other mechanisms that are going to make this a successful launch in place. Like, how do we actually spread this video as far and wide as we possibly can? And we did that through uh, penny views, right? Back then you could get, you could buy views for pennies on YouTube, Facebook. And the broader you went and the more budget you applied there, with those penny views, like we were just trying to get as many people to watch that ad for as cheap as possible as we could get, right? Now, the effect of that, the thing that was super interesting that you really don't have anymore. There's some caveats here, but I'm just going to, I'll just say it like this. It's, there's a viral coefficiency effect, right? So back then people watch the ad, they're like, Oh, that's super smart. That goalie locks. That was really cool. Share, right? And they would share it. And then somebody they sent it to is share, 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 right? And I mean, there was hundreds of thousands of shares off of that video very quickly, right? And so when you coupled like really cheap views with the, the sharing mechanism that like literally this almost doesn't exist anymore. The consumer's behavior has totally changed. People are way more hesitant to share things. They're not hitting that share button like they used to hit the share button. Unless they're older. Facebook. Unless they're older, they share everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But today, most people are not, right? They're just not sharing like that anymore, right? It just doesn't exist. So that viral coefficient coupled with those penny views where we were just trying to get in front of as many people as possible, 
it was like a thermonuclear explosion. I mean, it is really hard to, to quantify and convey. Like, have you ever been on an airplane before and you thought it was going to crash? That's what it felt like. You were literally sitting there like, I can't even control this thing. We got it to a point where it, we were driving so many cells and we couldn't keep up with the cell. We were for every 10 mattresses we produced, we produced one mattress or we sold. We produced one mattress. Okay. Jeez. Manufacturing was backing way up. They were not prepared for the influx of, of cells that were going to come in. So we took all of the ad spend and pulled it back to zero. Essentially. We we're like, we just have to turn it off. That was like throwing a snowball at a freight train. Because we put up on the site that we were six weeks backward and everybody just wanted to get in line. They're like, six weeks? I've been sleeping on this mattress for nine years. I can wait six weeks. Bye. And it just multiplied. Like, it just kept on going, right? And I, I was like, I, I turned it off and I, and I can't control this machine, right? Like, it just went crazy. So that's how we would – back then, that's the, the, back to your question about how did you get in front of so many people. It was totally – it was hitting those penny views. To like really get that vi- that viral coefficient, that sharing mechanism in place, which it did. It just was like lighting a warehouse full of dynamite on fire. It was crazy, right? And and that's really how that video, the video views blew up. And the result was was again in the first year alone, it was sixty million in revenue. And just for listeners to recap here, it's because I think it's important that this wasn't random. Your campaign had multiple areas where you had already seeded through a Kickstarter campaign, which we didn't even touch on. And I hesitated to ask because I think we could go down a rabbit hole because Kickstarter is not magic. You got to market yeah. Kickstarter to get a hundred people in your case to buy the purple mattress. But you also manufactured this event in the sense that when you did launch and they did do the reviews, you had the reviews, you had already got an influencer by sending them this free product. I don't know. Did you do you, I don't know what it uh, now people think you have to pay the influencers. I'm 50 50 on that because I don't know. It's, it's a, uh, we, it, we just gave them, we just gave them affiliate links. We're like, Hey, make it, we'll give you a free mattress, make a video about it, put it, put it up, use your affiliate link. And if you sell something, we'll pay you. Right. We'll get, I think it was an 8% commission at the time. Right. That's so cheap. And they were like, yeah, sure, we'll do it. <laughs> it's a totally different world now. Influencers is a totally different world now, right? And, and I want to talk, uh, I want to talk yeah, about that, but just in, in summary, you manufactured all of this so that you thought about the angles. And I think it's important for anyone listening that if you are going to do a launch like that, you've got to have all these bases covered and you need to think like yourself, like a buyer. What are you going to do? And it is true. You, uh, I forget either Dan or Chris, you, you said it, which is, I see the brand today on Instagram. I've never heard of the brand. It looks like a cool product. This happened to me with a portable air conditioner recently. I instantly went to Google and I was like, brand reviews. And now I start to see brand reviews in this case, and I won't name the manufacturer because I don't know whether it's good or bad, but I didn't buy it because of it. It's got all these crappy reviews. But in, in Purple's case, they went, they saw it, and now they've got all these reviews. They go to Amazon, which if you're ignoring Amazon at this point, you're probably a little crazy. I'm interested what you guys yeah. think. But it has all these reviews that are probably, quote unquote, verified because they were. And now all of a sudden, you've create, you have a new product that has the illusion that it's older and that these people have missed it and they're just catching up. And it's just a lot of work. Is I guess my point is it's not luck. There is probably a little luck to it, but 
it's manufacturing this to cover all the angles, not just don't come away from listening to this episode and say, hey, I'm going to record something on my iPhone. I'm going to put it on YouTube and then it's going to go viral. Like those days, I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's probably going to involve nudity or something else to make that happen. Let's just be honest. And it's not going to be your buyer. So I just wanted to say that because it's important to understand that there's just multiple components. So going, going yeah, there's back not to, one trick that will right. do it. There's not one media buy trick that's going to make it if you don't have all the basic bases covered and you don't have a good product. Like if you don't have a lot of stuff, it, like nothing's going to work. So maybe and the we, problem with, with a lot of agencies today and a lot of marketers is that they're not evolving, right? They're not evolving to meet the ad campaign or the ad platforms like the best practices for, for advertising on those platforms today, right? Like we know guys who are using tricks that are 10 years old and we're like, guys, that doesn't work anymore. You know, like no offense, but, and it just doesn't. Right. So like we would be, we would be guilty of this if we didn't evolve things at purple and purple did evolve things on the video side. Right. Very much so. And then, you know, we started Stoic Yeti three years ago. We're coming up on our three year anniversary and we have completely changed the way that we operate and think about strategy and ad campaigns and video and all of these things from when we launched this only three years ago. Like the world is totally different place than it was three years ago in this. So if you're working with an, a- an agency or you have a marketing department where it's like, well, yeah, this worked for me when I worked at XYZ company seven years ago. It's like, uh, that's not the right way to think about it. It, it just isn't because it's such a it's constantly evolving world. So what's ch- let's talk about that. What has changed? Should we, we should talk about Gab as kind of the case study here. Okay. So we've been working with them for two years, and uh, they're an awesome company. Like, and they're growing like a weed right now. It's incredible, like how well that 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 product is really getting to this inflection point where it's becoming kind of ballistic, and people are really taking to it because of its benefits for children. It's just it's awesome, right? But Two years ago, they were still a pretty fledgling startup, right? Um, they were trying to, to really break into the market, which is super hard to do in telecommunications, mobile devices. I mean, especially when you're competing with like perceptions, right? Is especially and kids, they want to look cool. They want to have an iPhone. There's all those types of things that come into play here. But when we showed up at Gab two years ago, they had a long form video campaign. It was extremely well produced. It was awesome. Like the video was great. And it was actually produced by the same guys that worked with us on Purple. So we knew going in, we're like, we already know we're going to have a good video. It's going to follow a good DR model. It's going to have high production value. Like it's going to have a lot of good things. It wasn't converting. The video was not converting. We first looked at it and thought, okay, maybe there's a media buying problem, right? And frankly, there was some things that could probably have been better on the media buying side. So we came in on the media buying side and immediately changed uh, the, the, the strategy there implementing best practices. But we looked at the video and we said, we knew at the time, the thing that was that we were, was really emerging, that we were seeing was sub 30 second video is, is really where it's at. And what we needed to do is we need to take this long form video and we need to cut it to sub 30 second type ads. And then we need to go AB split test them in platforms like Facebook and Instagram. The long form video, Gab was losing. I'm trying to think because I can't say the numbers. They were losing money on the phone costs a hundred dollars. I'm going to say this. It's probably okay. The phone costs a hundred dollars, right? It costs them $150 to sell a phone. Okay. That math doesn't work really well. Right now they have a backend subscription and that's where they would make it up, but they were not satisfied with this. Obviously they were like, look, we have to lower acquisition costs here. 
going in and just taking the produced content and, and cutting it down to sub 30 second video and then implement it, putting it in a platform and testing it like a really solid best practices, AB split program in the media buying side, we were able to drop the acquisition costs a, a little bit under a hundred dollars. Okay. So they're, they're immediately happy, but it's still really high, right? We got to get this down to like somewhere under $50, right? Was the mandate right around the time that the iOS 14.5 update hit, which allowed the user to decide if they wanted platforms like Facebook to get the data or not, we started experimenting very heavily with user-generated content, okay? Gab's internal organic social marketing team had like a lot of influencers that were just out making videos and talking about why they loved the Gab phone for their kids and all that. And we went to that team and said, hey, can we take some of this stuff and try it in ads? And they were like, yeah, sure. So they went out, got permission. We would take that. Our magic here a little bit, but it's not what we invented is we have really good in-house video editors who know how to take content, like any type of content, and turn it into direct response type of advertising that's easy to measure and understand if it's effective or not, right? So we take these ads produced by influencers. We would edit them, turn them into direct response ads, put them into the paid platforms like Facebook and Instagram, and we would start running tests on them. Immediately, we dumped the acquisition cost to like sub $50 doing that. And so me and Dan looked at each other and we're like, hmm, this is super interesting, right? And we just started to apply that model across all of our clients and saw very quickly that user-generated content edited correctly to a direct response marketing message and with correct media buying implemented behind it with data, which is a question you asked about the beginning, like what do you guys think about on the data side? Those things all put together is really where we see the platforms going today. So it's where the platforms want to go, but it's also the user, like the customer, they just want to consume short-term form content. They don't want to see produced content. They want to hear about other people's experiences with the brands that they're interested in. And we're just really good at executing on that on the ad side. I just said a ton of stuff there. I should stop talking and let Dan talk about this because he knows more about it than I do. Sorry. Brad, do you have a question first on that? Uh, I have a question, but go ahead. I, I don't know. Let me... You might answer it, so go ahead. So one thing to think about is we were creating content for Facebook and Instagram. And what works there is probably going to be different than YouTube, where you got to think of what channel you're in. And and we do a lot for TikTok now as well, and it's a very different environment there. If people pull up Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, it's like you're clicking it. You're pulling a lever on a slot machine. You don't know what you're going to get, right? You're seeing some content, and you got to like really grab their attention, and you got to be fast. People are in, in line at Starbucks or whatever, looking at their phone board. You got to grab their attention and, and tell that story in seconds. If you're in YouTube, people are looking at YouTube, searching for things. They're in a lean back mode. They're ready to watch maybe longer form. They want to learn something. So it can be different. Long form still is workable, but it depends what channel you're advertising in. So we're not like against long form. We're just, we're for what works in per channel. And Facebook and Instagram is very different than it was in 2015, 2016, just the behavior. And on TikTok, especially, you have that ad fatigue happens in about a week. You have to refresh that content. We've made hundreds of ads for, for Gab where we got to refresh that user generated all the, all the time. You know, people see that, that person, you can't just keep putting the same person out there saying the same thing. So it's kind of a machine you have to do is like constantly seeing it works. You see ad fatigue, you got to replace it and you got to test against what's working to, to try to get incremental performance. Are influencers still 
willing to do the affiliate model these days? Yes, there's there's really two parts to that, right? This is actually where it's evolving to next, but this is a great question, right? We like influencers, but influencers can be a little bit difficult to work with, right? Because of the following. There's and, and marketing departments internally are thinking about it this way as well, which is what is their organic reach? Oh, they got half a million people or 50,000 people or whatever it is, right? And then if they go back to the influencer and say, we want to put a deal together with you, but we also want to be able to use the content and advertising, then they're having to put a contract together to get that content out, to then give to the marketing department to then build advertising from, right? Or they're having to use the their affiliate link or something like that. It actually becomes a pretty involved like negotiation with the influencers and like frankly, and I hope there's some influencers listening to this, marketing departments are getting annoyed, right? Like they're, <laughs> they're getting very annoyed with this, right? And because you, you got a bunch of people showing up who are prima donnas, like, oh, I got 50,000 followers. You have to give me the moon and the stars to do this thing for you. And the marketing departments are like tired of this, right? Well, and I just so, want to add, I'm interrupting you. Yeah. But I don't, I don't care if you have 50,000, 100 or 200. What I care about is how many you reach and can you build the Excel spreadsheet or numbers, whatever you want to build, the waterfall to tell me how many purchases we're going to get. Or a better question for me, and you both maybe can appreciate this, and some listeners who are younger will be like, oh, you're too old school. I don't know about that, is I want to know how big your email list is, and I want to know what your open rate is, period. And because as soon as what happens if you know you have to go from Instagram to TikTok, you're not going to mm-hmm. transfer those 100,000 people. In fact, most of them aren't going to even know you're gone because you're not reading. What is the organic reach? Like 3% at best? Yeah. And it's like, and what are you building your content for? Are you big on Instagram? Are you big on TikTok? Are you big? In, I mean, TikTok's really hard to, it's really hard to measure results out of TikTok right now, right? There's still a pretty immature platform from an ad side, right? We bypass all of that. We're like, okay, look, <laughs> we're like, Let's go find people, and we actually have this network. It exists inside of our business, right? Which is, let's go find people who are really good at pitching product in video. They understand how to use this. They understand how to talk to it. They understand, like, they understand a direct response model. Let's give them a creative brief that we create, right? Let's give them the brief. Let's tell them exactly what we want them to film, and let's have them create really compelling video very inexpensively. Like we pay, pay these people, like some people will just do it for product. Like we don't even give them cash, right? And then they give us back that video. And guess what? When I get that video, I can do anything I want with it. Like I'm not worried about like what platform it goes into or paying a royalty or having to attach a affiliate commission to it. Well, how, or how are you care about their how, organic reach? How are you doing? How are you doing that? Are you, are you doing a contract just for listeners? Are you doing a contract or is it just a simple? We gave you the product. You're giving us the video. You give us the rights to use your name and and image in however yep. we want. It, it could be either, depending on who the person is, right? So if they're like, "Oh, you're going to give me a free thingy," yeah, okay, cool, I'm in. Here's my money. I'll go, right? Or, "Oh, you're going to give me fifty bucks, or a hundred bucks, or five hundred bucks, or..." I mean, we have some that are a little bit more expensive, but they're awesome. We have a, a go-to person that we use that's six hundred dollars, and we're happy to pay her six hundred bucks. She's very, very good, right? Right, and. So it totally depends on like the individual. The value though is we get back really good content that we can edit. We can edit it into an ad very easily. And then I can put it out into the ad platform and just test it. And because it's so cheap and so inexpensive, we can make a lot of it and we can get a lot of people. We can make a lot of it. We can test a lot of different types of people, a lot of different types of messaging. And we're not caught up in 
well, what's their organic reach? Or what does the contract say we can use this or where we can use it or whatever can we, can we do with it? We're totally in control of that content, right? People on a budget too, Brandon. We have a, a movie theater, bowling alley arcade chain, a client, and we have their employees do it. So their employees mm-hmm. go in the theater and they pull their cell phone and they see how great the movie is and they bring their kids there or whatever. And, and some of the, some of that content is not very good, but we can cut out the good pieces of it to make ads out of it. And, and it works really well. And there's no organic reach with them. We're just looking at it from an ad standpoint. We're going to mm-hmm. force spend to it. And if we get good content in there, you know, it still looks very native in platforms. People scroll through and they see someone who's normal talking about, you know, the movie theater, how great the service is and how clean they are and, you know, delivering food to your, your seats. And so people want to go to those theaters because it looks like a real person, which it is, you know, a real person talking about a movie theater instead of the brand talking about it. And it's not, we're not paying any influencers for this one. It's just, you know, people on a budget, like you can do it on your own. We've done it ourselves. I, we had an e-bike client and I made a stupid video with my wife riding an e-bike and, I said something really dumb in there. I was like, it's super fast. It's super fast, you know? And that, you know, our editor worked really made well. It, made a cut out of it, you know? And I was the winner. You know, I don't have a great, I'm not, I'm not an influencer, but I was still the winner. It didn't matter what kind of it, what kind of following I had. So if I hear this right, I think, is that the video? Is that the e bike sponsored by Harley or something? Or has it yeah, that was, that was that client. Yeah. yeah. So what I'm hearing, I'm going to say this back. Tell me if I'm on or off is, it's really not about getting influencers, at least in your model or where you think it's going, to get the influencers to go on their channel and do a box opening or a product opening or something like that. But it's more to get amateur actors. They're not really influencers because they might not even have a following. Exactly. But get authentic people of which you can then, with the professional art of the magic and the editing, turn into something that looks organic, pay for those ads to be placed, A, B, test it, and basically build a model for every dollar you spend, you get four through that testing process of multiple people, which are amateur. It's like indie actors, basically. We, we call them content creators. Okay, we, that's content. That's what we call them. We just say, hey, they're content creators. And if I gave that guy free product or 50 bucks to put video together that we could turn into an ad and it doesn't work, we don't care. It's 50 bucks. Right. It wasn't $5,000 that we gave to an influencer who has 50,000 followers and then they sucked at like pitching the product and then you put it into the platform and it doesn't convert and you're like, crap, we just lost five grand on that person and it got nothing. Right. And so those content creators, like we're always on the lookout for them. We have an entire group that all we do is we just look for people who are good at talking about it and we put them into our network and then we, we just constantly feed them product from our clients. Right. And they're very good at doing it. And it just turns into this machine where you're just generating tons and tons of really inexpensive video, but it's good video. And it's produced on an iPhone typically. And it looks like it's produced on an iPhone and it's genuine. And it works really, really well on the ad platforms. For pain. And the real trick that the thing that you flipped is, I think two years ago was get influencers to talk about your stuff. And then that whole conversation where I went down the rabbit hole and went off was because I did what you what you described is like I just gave this person three thousand dollars. There's no waterfall. They they just took the money, did some half-assed thing. I'm not saying they all do that, but the reach wasn't there. Like the math just didn't work. 
But right. what you're doing is saying, hey, let's get authentic people who are content creators. We'll edit it. We'll pay our way into it, but we'll pay our way into it and figure out how to do an ROI or, or how to get the ROI through testing. This assumes, of course, which we haven't talked about, you can't take a crappy product. Well, you probably can take a crappy product for a minute and get sales, but over the long run, it's got to be a decent product with some value prop. Would you agree yeah, with that? Yeah, product matters, right? And we, we do this with services too. Like we're promoting several services right now utilizing the same, which is really interesting. It's actually a little bit new, but you know, you have your, your things about product that we look for this all the time. Like, like we want to look at a product and be like, okay, does this have a core competitive advantage? Is it demonstrable, especially in video, right? If we see something that's like super demonstrable and it, it to the point where a consumer understands it in three seconds, right? We have a, a back roller called the Hello Roller, right? That expands an expandable back roller. And the videos that work there is you see somebody rolling on that right away and they see that it looks different than any of the back roller on the market. Those ads work. They just work immediately, right? So that demonstrability, I mean, this is kind of marketing 101 and product development 101, which is like, you've got to be demonstrable. You got to have a core competitive advantage. And those are the kind of companies that we're looking for and that we want to work with, right? Because it works so well with the model. How long does it take to, I know this is, there's a lot of levers here, but if someone wants to get up and running with this sort of program, does it take three months, two months? Like, how is that? How could someone realistically who's listening and saying, yeah, I want that. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, man, I want this. Why the hell haven't I done this? And the answer to why the hell haven't I done it when I know how to do it is because it's a lot of work. A lot I of mean, work, yep. It, it's a lot of work. You got to, I mean, we've talked, you've rattled it off very quickly, you and Dan, but the truth of the matter is, is that there's a recruiting function because you've got to find people who can pitch, articulate, and also look authentic and not fake, meaning doesn't look like they're a paid actor. You then have to negotiate with them, whether that's a free product, 50 bucks or whatever. Then you have to take that content. You've got to edit it, which is now you've come into another specialty, which is sure you could sit in front of, it's like saying, I edit this podcast. Sure. I, I did edit him in the beginning because I didn't have money for the business, quote unquote. But I also wanted to hear myself and hear how much I sucked and how much I wanted to get better. But video editing is not trivial. I mean, there's transitions and sure you could do a lot. And then this other pillar, which is you got to have someone who understands how to program this crap into Facebook's back end. If you're going to do Facebook or Instagram, for me, Google's even more complicated. I think it should be simpler, but I don't think. I don't understand. I like Google Analytics soaks so complicated for someone who's grown up on it that I still can't even get my accounts in order, like organized, literally. I know that sounds crazy. And then to do a YouTube ad, and then maybe you're going to do podcast ads. I don't know. We haven't talked about that. It's not video. I know it's audio, but they are doing inserts into on the Spotify platform. And then you got to figure out the data analytics. And then there's a piece in there that you actually have to hook all these stupid analytics into a centralized place. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to get it out of there, then you got to interpret it, and then you got to figure out what well, you got to do, how to A-B test. You, you used the word best practices. 
uh, before I go on, I guess my point in that is there's like 50 different really deep skills that you have to have here. And I'm not saying you can't do it at home. I think you can do it at home, but it's going to take you a minute to do it. And at some point, you're going to want to hire it out because your time's more valuable doing something else. But when you said best practices, I think, Chris, you've used that word a few times for listeners. Could you just name a few ideas around what a bet best practice is? Yeah, absolutely. So we would look like, uh, I'll give you an example in video because this is really probably pretty impactful to your, your viewers, right? Which is if you, you have very little time to tell your story, right? Dan, Dan used the example of someone standing in line at Starbucks and they're scrolling through Instagram or whatever. You got to stop their thumb from scrolling. And Dan and I have our three second rule, right? And it's like, we have to have compelling information or content right? Or a problem statement, right? Um, a compelling problem statement, whatever that may be, it has to happen in those first three seconds to get someone to stop scrolling, to pay attention to the rest of the advertisement, right? So an example is that back roller I was just talking about. We start those ads showing that back roller, no matter what we're going to say after the three seconds, we're just trying to capture their attention to go, oh, what is that thing that they're rolling on? That's cool, right? And then it turns into the direct response type of model ad, right? But that three seconds, we really want to capture them or get them with some type of a problem statement that, that, that's, that really resonates, right? Like Home Chef is a client of ours, big company, billion dollars, big um, direct delivery uh, food service, right? And we have an ad that we're just about to start running and testing with them. That's a mom saying, hey, as a mom, I'm super busy. I have no time to cook. And it's very relatable. And it happens right in those first three seconds, right? It's like, I'm a mom that's busy. I got no time to cook, right? And just boom. Okay. Oh, I'm a mom and I'm scrolling and I see that or, or I hear that or I see the words on the screen. I want to stop and hear what she's going to say next, right? Because everybody kind of has this problem of what am I going to eat tonight, right? So as a best practice, that's really impactful. If you're sitting down thinking like, wait a minute, I can take this and I can take iMovie or Canva and I can make an ad for my thing that I'm going to launch. Yeah, you can absolutely do that, right? But what you do and say in those first three seconds is extremely important. And that that's just an example of a best practice that we think about all the time in video. Dan, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, maybe a tip too, if you're trying to get your own UGC, whether you're going after your own customers or whoever it might be, or your employees or something, put together a list of questions to give them. What you don't want to do is have people read a script. If they read a script, it sounds like they're reading a script and then that sounds like an ad. So questions of like, why did you buy this? What was the problem you had before you bought this? You know, uh, what problem did it solve for you? Reveal the reason, how it helped you reveal your, you know, how the, how it looked when you opened the package. This when they opened it. This looked great when I opened it. It was, it was anyway. So they answer these questions and you have sound bites that you can edit from and you can test different sound bites. But if you have them answer questions, then it all comes natural for them to, to give the content they need. Would you go? Would you go out just even yourself and just interview these people? You use the bowling alley movie theater example. Like you could send someone from the team out there and you take your phone and ask the questions and then just roll it that way. Because what I'm thinking here is I did this back in the day. I needed writers. And I'm just doing this for the listeners because I think sometimes on these shows, they're just not relatable. Meaning, here's two guys, they crushed it on purple, they've had resources. People, at some level, to be honest, don't even think that they can get to people like you. I mean, truthfully, in that way. But 
in the early days, I ran a, fi- so, a social networking and an e-commerce site for sport fishermen. That's the first company I built. Started in 1996 and I sold it to a big media company. And I couldn't afford professional writers. Back then, professional writers charged $1,000 for a picture of a jumping fish. <laughs> I mean, 1000 bucks to me was a lot of money and that's what the big magazines were paying. So I convinced amateur writers and I, which were showing up on our message boards is what we call them. I don't know what they're calling more forums or whatever you want to call it, bulletin boards. And I would recruit them off of there myself. And I'd say, Hey, look, I think you can be a writer. I need featured content, quote unquote, from a professional put on the front page. Will you write it? And their feedback was, and I think this is maybe both of you could comment and probably hear this is, Hey, I, I can't do that. I'm not an actor. I've, I, I had this problem when I asked for testimonials actually for a newsletter that I write, print newsletter. And the people were like, I can't do that, Brandon. Like, I'm not an actor or whatever. So then in some cases, we would record them. We would drive there and record them and it worked out. But I told these amateurs, hey, look, I will edit your content. I will actually make you look like a great writer. Just give me the the stinking core, mm-hmm. right? Like, tell me what fishing lures you used on what tide and how you were jigging your rod. I'm making that up. But that's literally what I would say. And then we would, we would rework it. And it was a lot of work. But what it did was one is it provide cheaper content. Two is it was excellent content that people didn't expect because it wasn't from a named writer, but it actually worked. And we got a lot of views on that. My, my, I think my core reason for using this example is to, for anyone out there listening to this is you can get people to do it and they will be hesitant. I think, you know, they'll be like, Hey, I can't do that. I'm not an actor. I, I'm, I don't want to do that on video. And you either got to hire some people to do it or you got to go do that yourself and have that list of questioning and questions and then move into the editing phase of it. Yeah. We do this a lot. Like we'll just use our internal employees and we'll like, Hey, can we just make a quick video around this or what? I mean, we actually just hired one of our guys to come in who's already got a really good like understanding of how to produce video for TikTok. TikTok is a nut that everybody's trying to crack right now. And we've hired into that, right? We're like, hey, let's hire people that understand TikTok really well that'll produce original content there. And so literally we're sitting around looking at clients going that want TikTok out. We're like, okay, what can we have this guy go do? Right. Okay, great. We sit down, we IDA, we put a production plan together and we go out, we execute on it either using a GoPro or an iPhone to, to create it. And we're doing this, like, this is really important for your, your, your listeners to hear. We're doing this on an iPhone and, or a GoPro for billion dollar brands, right? Like we're not hauling out a film crew. Like in some cases we are for certain things, but like we're literally making ads for the TikTok platform for billion dollar brands using iPhones and GoPros and not professional actors. And doing it very inexpensively, right? That's the highest converting, like best content that you can produce for that platform and also for Instagram and TikTok. Or I'm sorry, Instagram and Facebook. And so like our, our advice to people who are just like, let's say you invented a widget, right? And you're like, I got to go out and sell this widget. I want to get it out there. It's like, okay, cool. Start making, it's just like you said, Brandon, like, Hey, there are people who will do it. You have friends that are good at making TikTok videos or they're good at like talking to the camera and they'll help you. Just ask them like, Hey, I need you to talk about my widget. Tell me it's like, what problem does it solve? What benefits does it have? You know, what's our call to action going to be? That's direct response type of, of 
best practices, right? You want to talk about those things in a video and just, just use like iMovie or Canva or something like that and just start making video from that and do it just really inexpensively. There's a whole other side of that, which is getting it up to Facebook, Instagram, TikTok that Brandon, you're right. There, it, that, those are complicated platforms now, right? But at a very base level, you can test a couple of ads in those platforms. And, and if you don't apply too much, too well, there's a whole other thing here that we can get into about how much money you should spend or shouldn't spend and all of that, right? But well, can you, we find, before you just skip over mm-hmm. that and listeners say, Brandon, why didn't you interrupt Chris and ask him what that range is? Could you just give a range? I mean, so that people understand basically, you know, this isn't free. You're going to have to invest. The ultimate idea here is, is that you figure out the model, the ROI at some level, even if it, you know, even for Gab, when you said $150, I was like, well, we were signing up people at America Online back in the day and it, our customer acquisition cost was a lot more, but sure. our customer lifetime value was there and we knew much that we were going to churn. But how much money going back to that do you think, like, can you just, in general, it's very hard. So for listeners, this is a totally unfair question that I'm asking Chris and Dan, but to give an idea. I'll let Dan give you like the detail answer. I would say like we generally don't like to work with clients unless they're willing to spend a thousand dollars a day to start to start, right? Like on we, the, we on the advertising, not yeah, that's, that, right. that's after they've created, whether they've given you the content or whatever, however that is, there is some money up front to sort of get the asset. That's right. And we have, I mean, we like that because it's enough money to test it and start figuring out very quickly. We have one client right now that's doing really well on $250 a day in ad spend. It's not typically a client we'd work with, but we like the company. It's a startup. We wanted to work with them. And then we have clients that are, you know, spending tens of thousands, if not more a day in ad spend, right? That it totally makes sense for them. We've dialed, we have a ton of data. We've really dialed it in. It's making a lot of money, right? But I'll let Dan maybe talk about it a little bit more. Our, our like as an agency, we look at it and we're like, we would really like the client to commit to at least a thousand dollars a day in ad spend. So one thing we didn't talk about, Brandon, too, is like post iOS and data and stuff like that, which could be a whole other conversation too, which you probably don't have time for. But I think the gist of this is the creative is the start to make everything else work. With with iOS, with not being able to track all the attribution to the sales as well as you used to be able to. It's become a creator's platform more and more. And I think it's going to be that way in the future. But you have, but out of the gate, you're going to fail in the creative. Almost everything to start is not going to work. And so you, you have to make a decision. Do I want to put more money in, get more data out so you can figure out what works faster? Or do I, sometimes if you spend too little money, you kind of slowly bleed to death without ever figuring out what works. Most people actually don't spend enough on Facebook, on Instagram, or other ad platforms to let the algorithm actually work. So you have to spend more money to get the data back. Because the more data that Facebook has, the quicker it understands how to serve your ads, the right people. And we want to test multiple versions of those creative to see what works. And if you have more, more advertising spend, you can put more ads in there that Facebook can handle. Just using Facebook for an example, because most people are there, right? And so that number of where to spend, it, it, it sort of depends, right? How big the audience is and, and how quickly you want data back. And that, that's why Chris says a thousand a day at least gets you, you know, usually some data back where you can get started and start getting some learnings back. Yeah, I actually am, I don't know, surprised pleasantly because I thought the number would be like 10 or 20. 
But a thousand dollars, while that to some people may sound a lot, I mean, for an SMB business, that's pretty reasonable, especially if you can get if you can get to the winning combo. Because the idea here is is that for every dollar you invest, you get I, I mean, even if you got a dollar fifty back or a dollar ten, at least you can break even and then figure it out more. So for me, the goal was always let's get break even because if you can get me to break even at that point now it's just it's not a hole in the bank account but for $1000 a day i think it's pretty reasonable yeah and with you with uh purple in the beginning you know we tested those 25 different versions it was 5 grand to each different version of the ad and a then day it, uh total so it's 5 oh, grand totally. to get enough people watching it so we can see who's which version is getting people watching through that video and then when we decided how long did pull, it take you to get to an answer or purple was a long time ago. So yeah. I don't know that that's relevant. How long do you think it takes to get to an answer today in general? Don't hold these guys to it. Your product varies. There's like 5 million variables here, but yeah, the, re- I mean, the reason with the YouTube back then is still kind of relevant today just to see video view. They have YouTube has some different data around what people watch and you're really, you're charged on a 30 second view. So you're charged, at least you're getting 30 seconds in of, of giving your brand story out. And then you can see where people leave and, you know, which part of the video. So YouTube is still pretty good for looking at some data around the video and where people, you know, what, what edits, edits to make. You know, on Facebook, it's really, you got to get it in learning. The learning process, it might be 40 conversions before you know whether that works. So it kind of depends until you get out of learning. Sometimes if the if the ads don't work, the product's not the right price, whatever, it might take a longer time to get out of learning and more money. So, I mean, really, it's like, how soon can we get out of learning? Got you. And for listeners, we don't have enough time today to go into learning, but basically it's so the algorithm learns your product, your audience, mm-hmm. who's engaging, who's not, and it can feed that to that audience. Uh, yeah, more of that audience. And there's data points about like the thumb stop rate, which is basically... Are you stop people the impressions you get, how many views you get per impression, you know, how people are watching through on the videos. So there's some of that data you can see before learnings is is out that you can make some judgments on. Uh, but one one problem we often see if you're not spending enough money, it's never gonna be enough to get out of learning. And so you sit there and the video never works and you get frustrated. And then you don't want to spend any more money because you've already spent a bunch of money that you know, kind of way. So you, so you want to kind of hit the gas a little bit in the beginning if you want to take that. So there's a little bit of gamble you have to take. Yeah. And I will tell you, it's scary. It's a little I mean, scary. I, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been there and I, and I'm like, you know, we got to go five more days. It's going to be five more grand or in, in a few cases it was more. But at that point, the decision is pretty simple. You're going to abandon everything and call it, call it a sunk cost and never know and never get there. Or you're going to decide you're going to do marketing online and you're going to spend the money. So before we go and we wrap up and I ask you guys for some tips for listeners, we've talked a lot about Instagram and Facebook, some about TikTok. And I agree, all the people that I know who are trying that in my network who are not necessarily agencies, but do it for themselves, whether that's affiliate marketing or whatever it is, the TikTok has been really hard to crack so far. There's fatigue quickly. I think you guys said, I don't know, a few weeks. Some of my friends have seen it way faster. The best advice is I got from a 14-year-old, quite candidly, because she's on there and she knows and she's done it. 
But where I'm going with this is you haven't talked a lot about YouTube. Is YouTube still viable in your guys' mind? Is sure. it Instagram and Facebook gets the attention, but it's like YouTube's a redheaded stepchild, but I feel like, I mean, I see mud water on there. I see, I mean, I'm just saying some things that come off my mind that are on there. There seems to be people are spending some money on that platform. So, so YouTube is massive. It, it is huge opportunity. The problem people have is they don't, you've got to go all in on YouTube and you got to look at the data correctly. So YouTube's probably the biggest opportunity for a lot of brands. That and CTV right now, so, uh, like Hulu and streaming TV. YouTube is, and to, to do YouTube right, there's a couple things that make people have a hard time for YouTube. Um, longer form content works on YouTube. There's a, there's a data point you want to look at on YouTube to see if your video is working. It's the number of earned video views. That is people that watch your ad, then they go to your YouTube page to watch more videos. So you need to make sure you have more videos on your, on your YouTube page as well. And there's also the data behind YouTube. If you're running, you know, Google accounts, Google spend accounts, the attribution on sales on YouTube usually gets attributed to your, your paid search campaigns or your display campaigns. And so the revenue attribution always comes back lower than what it really is. Does that make sense? But there's two ways on YouTube. And this is another new topic too, is there's a prospecting cold traffic side of YouTube. And then there's a retargeting side of YouTube that would be very different. Retargeting you should always be doing. And that, that's, that's a probably low hanging fruit for a lot of companies. And then the prospecting, you want to look at the data very differently. Uh, with the mattress side being a more expensive product, if we were getting a one to one attribution on sales on cold traffic prospect on YouTube, we knew that Google was taking the Google search campaigns was making up for the rest of it. And we could scale that all day long. We could increase a lot of spend in the campaigns on YouTube that were getting a one to one return. It might not be that same metric for everybody, but you got to look at it a little bit differently because people, people don't click through on YouTube ads on prospecting very much either. They watch it. But if you look at like Facebook compared to YouTube, Facebook's charging you for three seconds of an ad. YouTube is 30 seconds of an ad. You can have a whole brand story in 30 seconds and not being charged for it. So that impression, you know, just like hypothetically is way more valuable than a Facebook and Facebook view, right? 30 seconds versus three seconds. So part of it's like believing the platform too. And, and then kind of trusting in on YouTube, but also TikTok. TikTok drives like the cheapest clicks right now. Like super cheap clicks. 50 cents, I, I just, dollar click on, on from TikTok. You know? Wow. But I, I, I've heard at least most of the people that I'm referring to for you and listeners are service providers mm -hmm. and they, they see the click throughs, but they don't see the conversions on, on TikTok. But going back to YouTube. So YouTube's 30 seconds, even though it has that ad will end in five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of different ways you can do it, but that, that 30 second view is, is like. Well, that's like free to me. It's free. You know, I'm just, it's free. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm going to get 29 seconds and 29 seconds. I can get my whole pit. I mean, if you have your lack of better word, shit together and elevator pitch with very standard hook, you know, value prop, who your audience is, if they should listen, geez, in 30 seconds, like, yeah, you might want to build the video. And this is the way, you know, when we look at longer form, is you build like a 30-second video for that YouTube ad. And if anybody's still watching it, then you're basically building another video 
giving them more reasons to believe, right? And that, that's how you're making that. That 30 second ad, you got your logo in there, you got a product in there, you got all that stuff in there right in the beginning, that hook and think, hey, if anybody's still hanging around, they're a very qualified prospect, then think, what objections do people have to buying this service? You know, those kind of things. And you put those in that ad as you continue on. Yeah, that's why they've hooked me recently. And they're good. I watch them just because they're good. Like, yeah. You can tell they've, they, they know it. When you said uh, go all in, why do you have to go all in on YouTube? So a lot of people don't have the commitment to do a lot of organic YouTube and then responding to people's comments on YouTube. Oh. So like, like I really like to look at is a video working? Because you're not getting as much sales attribution on a YouTube prospecting ad. Like you're not getting that data back like you do on a Facebook ad, for instance. So because it's being, it's being, uh, Google's having search and display take credit for it. One thing you can do as we've done before is you create a separate MCC just for YouTube that will give you better data of just that YouTube campaign. But so you want to look at some other, other data because you're not getting that, that attribution back. And one of those data points is like the earned video views. I want to see if I'm engaging people if they're seeing an ad and they click through to my YouTube page to watch more video view, videos that are on my YouTube page. And that, that's called an earned video view. And you just want to engage people and keep them in the loop on your YouTube page to make it work. It's like a whole ecosystem mm-hmm. there. It's the same thing with TikTok. You know, you want, you want to go on TikTok. Look, you got to be very organic on TikTok too. Be very consistent organically. I mean, it's going to help you a lot. Um, that's probably one of the better. People just don't want to do that because it takes a lot it takes of work. Some time. Right? It, it, it takes some time. You well, got to respond to comments and that sort of stuff. I think that's an important tip for people. Yeah. And that's the thing too, Brandy. You've asked several times like, well, hey, you know, what's the, what's the takeaway or the best practice to leave? Execute. Like you have like literally it is a lot of like, it, like it's blocking and tackling. It's building a trench for because the, that you're about to walk into a war. Right. And you got to just do the hard work. The hard work is actually just sitting down and working and, uh, the first piece is showing up. Number one. The second part is actually sitting down and doing the work. And and so yeah, like you you talked to you you explained it very well. Like all those components together take a lot of work to find success. But look, if you're willing to do the work, there's a pot of gold on the other side of that rainbow. Like you just have to be willing to do the work. Yeah, I think that's a great place to end there. Was we transition in? I normally ask people for three HPTs, high percentage tips, and I told you guys in the video. I, I don't know how you guys want to divide it up. You could each give three, you could each give two, you could one and two, but could you leave listeners with some, if you had a, just, they want to do online, I think we've established this is online video, three tips that you would leave them with. Yeah. Dan, you want to go first or you want me to go or? Go first because it'll be easier to go first. (laughs) (laughs) I think yours. I'd say like, don't reinvent the wheel. Like it's easy to start like especially a direct consumer company today all the work is done for you basically you have ad platforms that are amazing that you can access you have platforms like shopify you don't have to build a cart i remember when we used to have to build our own shopping carts right yeah. like yeah. and you can now access it for a month a low monthly fee shopify right you can take one of their templates slap it up and you're in business like you can just start going so you just have to execute. Realize that n- there's never been an easier time or a better time in history to like get into it, right? And you just have to. If you're going to commit, you better commit and go all the way, and you and just go into it and do it. Yeah, you're going to be hard. You're going to have days where you're going to take 
two steps forward and four steps back, all those types of things that are going to occur when you're starting up a business, right? But you just have to press forward with it. You have to execute, block, and tackle. And the blocking and tackling is what counts, right? Everybody wants to sit around and talk about strategy and do we need this big thing or that thing or just no. Just show up every day and work, right? So I don't know. There was like four things in there, so I apologize. But I mean, it was good. Yeah, with with all in video, user-generated content is like it's the easiest thing to do really right now. It's the least expensive thing to do. You can do it with your iPhone. It's good for both big and small brands alike. Anyone can really do it. And brand people, though, are going to hate it. Like the brand people organizations, they hate it because it's not. But it's more powerful today to have a customer tell your story than for a brand to tell the story. That's a big takeaway. And you got to do lots of it. You got to test a lot of it. And you got to have a lot of it for ad fatigue. But that that's the way that's the way you can... You know, even if you don't get a home run, you're going to get a lot of single bases with, with some user generated content. I think those are great tips. Um, guys, I appreciate you being on the show. This is fun. I could talk to both of you for four or five hours when you meet people who have actually been around and have depth and understand it. It's, it's always fun to geek out on this stuff. Where can listeners find you guys? Yeah, just at stoicyeti.com. So stoic and yeti is all one word. So. And uh, we have all of our contact information there. We're both in LinkedIn. But the easiest way is just send us an email via stoicyeti.com. And uh, even if you just have a question, you're like, hey, I got this thing. And, I'm, you know, I don't think I can afford you guys or whatever it may be. Like, I got a question, like, how'd you guys do this video? How'd you guys do it? Just send it to us. We'll respond back. Like, we're uh, we're happy to talk to anybody, right? We just want to be very helpful. So um, that's the best place to reach us. Cool, man. I will put this in the show notes for listeners. Dan and Chris, thanks a lot, man. It's been a ton of fun. Hey, thanks a lot, Brandon. Appreciate it. Bye, everyone.